All right. The baskets are going to be coming around your way. In the meantime, if you guys would, take a look at the screen behind me for a quick video. There's a story in the Bible about Elijah, that he believed for rain, though the sky was clear. He had his servant look again and again, seven times there was nothing to see, but Elijah prayed and trusted and prayed. Then the report came back, I see a cloud on the horizon, I see a cloud. Did you hear about the move of God in the Hebridean revival? where two old women resolved to pray and the land was changed. The church was dying with nothing to celebrate, but God broke in and moved. People far from God flooded in. Farms and looms were silenced as people suddenly and strangely considered God. For a long time, the sky was blue, but then they saw a cloud. It's amazing to think about. It encourages our hearts and that's all fine. But what about here? Could this be the time? Did you hear about the move of God in Azusa Street? Where they preached about gifts of the Spirit, though they had no experience of them. Seeing nothing, they continued to believe and contend, and then the Spirit moved, and the church shook under the power of God as tongues and healings broke out like a flood. The sky was blue, and then they saw a cloud. It's amazing to think about. It encourages our hearts and that's all fine. But what about here? Could this be the time? Did you hear about the move of God in the Great Awakening? Where Jonathan Edwards preached the gospel to a dry and dying church. Famously with no charisma and a monotone voice, he read from his dense theological notes. But the spirit just fell. People shook and cried out to God under the weight of his presence and the conviction of sin and it rippled through America as the church was changed. The sky was blue and then they saw a cloud. It's amazing to think about. It encourages our hearts and that's all fine. But what about here? Could this be the time? Did you hear about the English revival where Whitfield and Wesley travelled the land preaching the gospel in open air to crowds of 50,000 at a time? The spirit moved, people responded in their thousands and the nation was literally changed. Did you hear about the move of God among the Jesus people where surfers and hippies met and responded to Jesus in their thousands? Did you hear about the move of God in Toronto, where people started shaking and falling over under the power of God, where airports had to charter more flights to accommodate the people and the fire just spread through the world? Did you hear about the move of God in the first century, where Peter preached and 3,000 responded in a day, where the church exploded under the worst persecution? Did you hear about the move of God in the Welsh revival, where Evan Roberts travelled through the Welsh valleys preaching the gospel and over a hundred thousand people came to faith, where pubs were emptied as people responded with glad hearts. Clear blue skies with nothing to show, but then someone saw a cloud. It's amazing to think about, it encourages our hearts and that's all fine. But what about here? Could this be the time? 
God, our hearts are hungry. Our need is great. We've gathered together to call on your name. We feel the poverty of our attempts to build. Nothing means anything unless it is filled with your presence, with your power. Oh God, let this be the hour. Because unless you build the house, we toil in vain. And so we cry out again and again, oh God, how we long for rain. We're desperate for you. And though the sky might be clear with no cloud in sight, we'll stand in hope as we watch the skies. We'll keep on looking again and again, keep on seeking, keep on praying, keep on listening for the sound, for those words. I see a cloud. Come like a flood, come like torrential rain from above. Come move among us with power to save. Drench us, stir us, don't leave us unchanged. God, would you come and do it in our day? And oh, that somebody about us would say, did you hear about that move of God? It's amazing to think about. It encourages our hearts and that's all fine. But deep down, this is our cry. Oh God, let this be the place. Let now be the time. I've seen that uh, several times. Every time it kind of lights my heart up because it's, uh, it just it holds something out there for us that is so appealing because we're here because we, we want to see God move. You know, we're here because we want God to move in our lives personally, but uh, we also want to see God move in our community, in our city, in our state, in our region, and in the world. They, they referred to several moves of God in, um, in this video, and question at the, at the, uh, in the video, question was, could this be the time? And um, can it happen again? And some of us would look around and, you know, if you read the news, if you um, tune into the um, news channels on the internet or wherever, it's really depressing, isn't it? I mean, it looks really, really bad out there. And it's very easy to think it can't change. It's very easy to think we're beyond the point where things could turn around. But the, uh, the, the awakenings that we've experienced in, in our nation and in the world all came at times just like this. The one that they referred to with um, um, Jonathan Edwards, Whitfield, Wesley, in 1740, in, 17, in the 1740s, and I'm reading an author here, Kevin uh, Belmont, I'm just gonna quote him. He said, French skeptics and the Enlightenment thinkers so pervaded the colonies that churches struggled to remain open. You know, you, you, we, we have this picture that, well, back in those days, everybody was a Christian. And no, 1740s, churches struggled to remain open. Colleges became hotbeds of humanism. Christian students, what few there were, practiced their faith secretly because they would be rocked, mocked, and ridiculed and, um, and, and experienced prejudice because of their faith in Christ. But Jonathan Edwards, as, as, he's, as, as the video showed, gives this very bland message. One of his famous messages was sinners in the hands of an angry God. Long, not, you know, not real super exciting, but the power of God was on the whole thing. And that started the first great awakening. 
and, and it changed the whole tenor of uh, the colonies. It united them for one thing, because this, when Whitfield came over and, and then John and Charles Wesley, they preached through all the colonies and that brought a unity to the whole thing. And it really did give a, a foundation for the new nation that was forming. But 50 years later in the 1790s, um, things things had uh, had faded, and, and the freshness of that awakening had faded. And in, in that time, only one in 10 Americans attended church. One in 10. Now, Justice, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, um, John Marshall, told uh, this, this uh, bishop, he said, the church is too far gone ever to be redeemed. Do you hear that? This is a major leader in our nation who says church is over. It's dead. It's, it's not going to, nothing's ever going to happen again through the church. And then Voltaire, who was the French philosopher, he said, in 30 years time, Christianity will be forgotten. Now, one of his students, uh, Thomas Paine, wrote this. I mean, it sounds just like something you'd read in the newspaper today. Listen to this. He said, of all the systems of religion that were ever invented there is nothing more derogatory to the Almighty, more unedifying to man, more repugnant to reason, and more contradictory in itself than this thing called Christianity. Those are hard times. Man, 1790, and yet what happened? The Cane Ridge Revival in Kentucky. Charles Finney. And, and, his, and his preaching of, uh, throughout, the, throughout the nation, evangelistically. And the circuit rider preachers. You know, we have this idea that everybody, every settler was just this God-fearing person. They went into the West with their gun in one hand and their Bible in the other, and that's just not true. The settlers out in the West, it was, it was some of the least Christian of the population that existed in our nation until the circuit riders. And, and they went from town to town preaching. And that was Second Great Awakening. Now, there were many other great things that happened uh, through history, not just here in the States, but around the world. And when we talk about this, we're not just talking about, let's you know, revive America, but it's global. What we need is a global awakening where people in the tens of millions and hundreds of millions come to faith in Christ. And one of the things that we need to recognize is People are coming to Christ in droves in South America, in, uh, in China, in other parts, of, in Africa. The church and Christianity itself, not just the church, but Christianity. And, and by the way, where Christianity comes, a church forms because the church is the people that get saved. And then they start to hang out together because they have this common bond of the Holy Spirit in them. That's what the church is, the people that are saved that come together. And people are, are being saved in, in by, in by the millions around the world. And so when we talk about renewal, when we talk about restoration, we want to see it here, but it's already happening in a lot of places around the world, and we want to see it happen more there. And I want to mention one uh, revival that happened in 1857. There was a prayer revival in New York City where... Um, they just started meeting for prayer meetings, and they just started praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it lasted a couple of years. 
And they say at least a million, maybe up to two million people came to faith in Christ during that season of time. But, but here's something really interesting. There would be ships that would pull into the New York Harbor from other nations that it had no idea what was happening, this prayer revival, and they would pull into the harbor and without even disembarking from the ship, they would start to experience revival. And people would start to get hungry for God and they'd start, they'd start seeking God without even knowing that this thing was happening. I wanna see stuff like that happen, don't you? Yeah, that, 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 that's, that's what we wanna see. And that is what the prophets have been saying for a couple of decades now that this is coming. And we can look forward to that. I believe that it is coming. In fact, when you look at uh, the history of this, it was every 50 years or so, there's a, new, there's, a, there's a new upheaval of revival that comes. And the revival at Azusa Street, which they mentioned at the beginning of uh, the 20th century in the early 1900s, that, that happened at the same time that the Welsh revival occurred. And they say in the Welsh revival, the... Um, you know, these were all like coal miners and people that worked hard, long hours. And then they come to church and be there for hours at church. And then they have to walk home an hour or two to get, to get back to their homes. What started happening was people were translated from the, the door of the church to their front door. And they, they would step out of the door of the church and suddenly they'd be home. They say that that became so common, they wouldn't even let people give testimonies about that anymore. Because it was, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, 50 other people had that happen last night, too. I want to see stuff like that happen. Yeah. Yeah, we want to see people... We want to see people come to Christ because they've seen healings take place that cannot be explained any other way. And we want to see people come to Christ because they hear truth and their eyes are opened and it, they, they just call out to God. They, they need, they're, they're gonna, people are gonna have this hunger for God and for more of God, to know him and to know him better. And so with, within the church, for those of us that already know Jesus, there's gonna be a deepening hunger to know him more and, and to call out to him more. And for those that don't know him, there's just gonna be a desire to know him. Someone told me, um, Mary, I think, I think I see Mary sitting somewhere here. Uh, Mary, oh, Mary Twos. Mary told me that uh, at, um, at Healing on the Streets, a man came up to her and um, started, started talking to her. And he was of, from the Middle East somewhere, but um, really hard to communicate because his English wasn't great. But finally, she realized he wanted to know Jesus. And so he came up to her because he wanted to know Jesus. So in the, in the, in the uh, language barrier they had, in spite of that, they were able to communicate enough that he invited Jesus into his life. And Mary said that he was like ecstatic and, and recognizing something was different, that, that he had come to know God. Yeah. Good job, Mary. Mary, stand up, okay? Yeah, this is Mary. Let's all... Some people point to the 60s and 70s and the charismatic renewal as something akin to, um, to what we would call a, a, um, a restoration period and an awakening. But we're at a point now where we're looking for the next great awakening. And uh, Bob Jones used to talk about the, 
the uh, billion soul harvest that was coming. And other prophets have prophesied that there was something dramatic going to happen in Ohio that's going to spread to the rest of the nation. There are just credible prophets right now that are uh, saying that California is going to be a hot seat of revival, that that's coming, and restoration, and enlightenment, and God moving, the Holy Spirit moving. And so that's awesome, bless California, but I like the one about Ohio a little better myself, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, I told you that um, really felt like we are called to be a regional church. And by that, we mean uh, the, to be a church where we'll have conferences here that other churches in the region will come to to get filled up and to get blessed in. And that uh, a place where other churches will come to learn how to do the things that God's doing here, uh, at least to hear the story of, of how things have, have gone here. In fact, Robbie Dawkins, in one of his first visits here, probably five, six years ago, um, and we were just starting to push this direction at that time. And he said, keep track of what you do because other churches are gonna wanna know how you made this transition. And so words like that are encouraging to our hearts. Uh, if you remember last week, um, Marcus Digert gave us a word that this is going to be, um, he said, an epicenter. And, and we're not gonna be the epicenter. There are gonna be many in a move of God like this. There are gonna be many but we want to be one of them. We just, we just want to do our part and be part of that. And so he said it wasn't really an epicenter. He said it's going to be an epic center. And so, so you, you hear words like that. And, um, and what it does is you say, well, what's our response to that? Because you realize prophetic words that are given, most of the time they're invitations, most of the time, that's what they are. They're invitations to press into that. They're invitations to believe God, to believe what he's saying, to steward that word, to let it soak into your heart and your mind so that you begin to see life through that and press into it. And so what does that mean for us as a church then? Well, we are, we are it's, it's not just praying, but it is doing. But it's not doing without praying and it's not praying without doing. It needs to be both. But we're doing a lot. And we have a lot of stuff happening outside the church walls. And for a lot of you, you come here and you go home and you are making a difference in your neighborhood. You are having an influence on people that you know at work. But one of the things that we're going to begin to ramp up more, it's not that we haven't had it, but more is intercessory prayer. So my message today, what I wanna, what I wanna talk about is, uh, the title is Prayer That Breaks Through. And I titled it that because uh, there is resistance. There, there is an enemy in this world that doesn't want to see uh, another revival, that doesn't want to see another awakening, doesn't want that to happen. And so prayer, particularly intercessory prayer, prophetic intercession, is one of the tools that breaks through the enemy's resistance, that shows us the enemy's schemes so that we can bypass them, and that paves the way for us to step into everything God's calling us to as a church body. Now, you know, prayer is talking to God. And um, whether, like a lot of us think of prayer as just reading through a list and telling all my troubles to God. And that is prayer. 
But it's more than that. It's also listening to God. It's driving in the car and communing with God in your heart and your spirit, listening to what he's saying, responding back. When he tells you something, praying it out. And, and so there are different ways to pray. We talk a lot here about prayer ministry. And what we mean by that is when an individual is standing before you and you pray for the Holy Spirit to come on them. And, and, and you, you lay your hand on them and ask the Holy Spirit to stir in them and to move on them. And you're sensing what their need is and you're praying for the things that God wants to do in their life right at that moment. We call that prayer ministry. But this intercessory prayer is a different thing. And especially prophetic intercession because it is stepping in between and calling out for a, a, a union of the two. And so if you have two friends that are at odds with each other and, and you come to them and you say, hey, I want to bring the two of you together, you are interceding, you're stepping in and you're bringing them together. And in intercessory prayer, what we're doing is we're bringing the kingdom of God to earth. We're not bringing it to earth, it's here. Jesus already did everything that's necessary for it to come, but we're, we're, we're breaking through the resistance so that it is released and we experience it in greater and greater fullness. And so we are, as a church body, in a place right now where, where we need more intercessory prayer. I have a friend that um, some of you have met. His name's Dave Newcomb. And uh, another friend that owned a business. And this business, uh, the products that they were built making in their factory were defective. And they checked everything in, their, in the factory, in the manufacturing process, and they couldn't find anything that was off, nothing that was off, nothing that was out of place. All the machines were functioning the way they were supposed to. And so they asked uh, Dave to come in and pray. Dave's a seer like, like uh, Micah, uh, like Micah Turnbow, who's on our staff. And so Dave went in, and they're just praying through the building, and Dave looked at one piece of equipment, and he said he saw a demonic presence on it. And so they prayed about that, and they expelled that demon, and lo and behold, no more defects in, in, in their products. Now, th that's kind of like, that's an illustration of um, prophetic intercession. It's prophetic because he saw it. And it's intercession because he prayed for God to do something about it. And so prophetic intercession is when we sense what God wants to do. You know, through prophetic words or just through you know, him giving us a dream or a vision, and then we pray for it to happen. And in effect, what happens is we are here saying, yes, God, come, come do that. Release it, God. We know this is your heart. We're asking you to come and to do it. Now, you might ask, well, why do we have to do that? If God wants to do it, why doesn't he just do it? And that all goes back to the creation and God's intent. When he created the world and he put Adam and Eve here, he he put it under their authority. And he said, I want you to fill this place. I want you to subdue it and I want you to rule over it in communion and fellowship with him because he came and walked with them every night in the cool of the evening, it says. And so man was put here and given dominion over the earth. And so God in heaven, he still operates that way. He wants to partner with us. Now, he can do whatever he wants to do, and so often God does just sovereignly, and by that, it's kind of, you think, think unilaterally. There are times God just works unilaterally. 
He doesn't have anyone here agreeing with him or, or inviting him to do anything, but he just does it because, it's, because he wants to. But his primary way of working is through us. It's through us. And so when we see what God wants to do and we call it down, we, we welcome it in, that delights God's heart because he wants to work through us because he wants that cool of the evening experience with us. And when we, when we walk with him and we know him and we're partnering with him, uh, that, that's how you draw close to somebody. I know growing up, um, I worked with my dad around the house. We lived, I grew up in a house that was already 100 years old when I was a kid and you know, I'm much older now. But um, there were always projects and my dad and I did projects all the time. And that, that was where I got to know him the most was when we were doing projects together. And I remember the first time I made a suggestion and he took it and, and he thought it was good and how, you know, how that built me up and what that did to me. But, but it drew us close together. And so God wants us to be a part of it. That's why this whole intercession thing is so important and so significant. But we have to believe that God really wants to move. We have to believe that he responds to prayer and we have to believe that he's good. If you, have, if you hold a theology that for you means the, the, this whole world is just winding down, it's just gonna get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, and the church is, gonna, is going to limp out of this, uh, this season of uh, history, and that, it, it's, that, there's, that there's, the church is not gonna be victorious, then you're gonna have a hard time interceding for a renewal or for a revival because you don't know if, well, maybe this is, this is the time when we crash, when everything crashes, and then, and then God comes back and just does it all. But I believe that the church is going to rise into victory, and that Jesus is perfecting his bride, and that that's going to happen. And, and we're, we're never going to be perfect, but I believe that there is going to be the, the, the renewal that is coming is going to be powerful, and we can count on it. And we know God is good and God is powerful and that that's where he's leading us. And so when you have that heart and mindset, then you can pray into this. You can pray powerfully and you can see results to that prayer. But in the Old Testament, there's a verse that says, the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth. I memorized it in the King James Version, to and fro. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth. Now the rest of it is my own translation. Uh, but it's more accurate <laughs> than all the others. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself mighty on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. You know, he's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for loyal people. Just loyal. Yeah. And you know what loyalty is? That doesn't mean I never stumble doesn't mean I never stagger. Doesn't mean I never just sit down and pout or anything like that. But loyal means my life is continuing in that direction. I might zig and I might zag some, but if you look at the, if you look at the long term, you're gonna say, oh, you're going there. And so that's what loyal is. And so if you believe that, then you can come to God and you can just say, God, I'm trusting you for it. I'm trusting you to show your power through me. I want to be one of the ones that you use that way. And we as a church, Lord, we want to be one, one of the churches that you use to bring about a great awakening. 
Lord, one that will be greater than anything the world has ever seen. We open our hearts to you, Lord, for that. We want that. We believe, God, that you're going to respond to that prayer. And so we pray, but, well, here, I just, I'm just going to go to this verse, uh, John 14. John 14, 12 through 14, Jesus said this. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, first of all, the greater works, um, people try to explain that away by saying, well, Jesus only ministered in Galilee and Jerusalem, and, and we go out to the four corners of the world, so it's a greater work. Well, it is greater in that respect, but if you're one of the apostles hearing this, they're thinking about, they're scratching their heads thinking, how many people did Jesus raise from the dead? How many lepers did he heal? How many blind eyes did he open? That's what they're thinking of with the works. And when Jesus refers to the works earlier in his ministry, he was talking about the miracles. So I don't see any way you can take that verse other than Jesus was predicting that believers are gonna do greater things even than he did when he was here on this earth. Do you wanna hear something interesting? In all four gospels, if, if you line up all the events of all four gospels, we have between 33, 35 days, individual days of the three-year ministry of Jesus accounted for. That means that there's like, what? Two years and 11 months of stuff Jesus did that we, we don't even know about. So he, <laughs> there was so much he did, so much power released. And now he says, that uh, believers are gonna do more than that. Well, we need to believe that. Haven't seen it yet, but we believe it. And we're gonna keep going for it. Even though we haven't seen it, we believe it, and we're gonna keep going for it. We're gonna keep asking God for it. But he says here, we, we ask in his name. That does not mean that at the end of your prayer, you say in Jesus' name, okay? Nothing wrong with that, unless you think that's what this means. That that's not what this means. Asking in his name means with his authority. It, you know, one of the things I've had to learn here in leading a church is I'll talk to somebody, maybe a staff member, maybe a volunteer, and they have an idea. And I like the idea. And I say, that's a, that's a great idea. Good idea. We ought to have that. And then they go tell other people, well, Van approved this. <laughs> okay, that's happened many, many times. And then whoever's supposed to approve it, you know, then that we have to fix that relational thing. And um, so now I'm, I finally learned that I'm saying, all right, that's a great idea. I love that idea, but um, I'm not approving it. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not giving you the right to use my name and my authority to try to make this happen. You report to uh, Luke, don't you? Go talk to Luke about it. See what he thinks. And so that, that's what Jesus means. It's like, like he, we borrow his authority. We won't borrow it, he's given it to us. But his authority is used in coordination with his heart. Okay, it's not authority that we get just to do whatever we want. Or, well, I think this is a good idea, so in Jesus' name, I'm gonna make that happen. No, it is, my heart has to line up with his. And Jesus, over and over and over again, ministered to people out of compassion, 
It says he saw the multitudes and he felt compassion for them, so he healed their sick, all their sick. Another place, he felt compassion for the multitudes, so he fed them. Another place, he taught them. And over and over again, it was, he sees a woman whose son has died, her only son, and they're at the funeral procession. He felt compassion for her, so what's he do? He didn't send her a Hallmark card. <laughs> he raised her son from the dead. But it was compassion. And if we don't get that, then you can picture almost Jesus just fulfilling a, a program. You know, the Messiah program. Messiah's gonna come, he's gonna heal people, so well, I guess I gotta heal people, so okay. How many can I heal here? Like he's doing it just because, because he's supposed to. And, and, and I'm, he did it because it was the right thing, but it flowed out of a loving heart of compassion. And so you and I have to ask ourselves this question, how do I get in touch with the loving compassion of Christ? Because if I want to walk in as authority, that's probably the biggest thing besides really understanding our identity and all of that, but understanding to, and, and walking in this flow of Jesus' loving compassion so that when we see people, and you know, you know how you can tell, if no one's looking, what do you say? What do you do? Like when you're in your car alone, I know this is an illustration we use way too much, but it really, it really nails it. When you're in your car and you're pretty sure the other person can't see your mouth moving, what do you say? That, that's kind of like the measure of compassion. And because if I really have compassion for people, I'm not gonna be grumbling about that person just because they can't hear me. That's not, that's not compassion. It, it, has, it has to be part of who we are. But when we get in touch with that loving compassion, then there is a flow of Jesus' life and authority that will come, come through us. In fact, John Wimber, who started the Vineyard Movement, um, someone asked him once how he gets words of knowledge and uh, what's he thinking when he's praying for someone, you know, or what are you asking God for? And he says, I'm, I'm not doing that. He said, when I'm when I'm looking at this person, I'm asking God to show me how deep in their heart, how are they responding to this sickness they have? Deep in their heart, how are they responding to this problem in their life? Because he said, once you get in touch with the pain in their heart, and then, you, and then you're saying, God, give me, your, give me your compassion for them. Let me see them the way you do. Once you get God's compassion and you're seeing their pain, he said, words of knowledge just happen. They just flow. And so it, it really is the question, if we're, gonna, if we're gonna press into being what God calls us to be, how do, we, how do we walk in this compassion? How do we experience it? Well, you know, Jesus said, I'm going away and that's good for you. To the apostles, he said, I'm leaving and that's good for you because Holy Spirit's gonna come. And whereas I am present here in your midst physically, the Holy Spirit's gonna be present inside of every one of you once he comes. And so when the Holy Spirit comes, the Bible says, he poured out the love of God into our hearts. The word literally means gushed out. Like if you, if you take the cap off a fire hydrant and the water is just gushing out, the Holy Spirit inside of us gushes out this love of God so that we overflow with his love and compassion. And because we're new creatures, we have new hearts, we can contain the love of God. Not just feel it from the outside, but it can flow into us and flow through us. 
And so as we just call out to him and, and, and we are looking to him and asking him for this type of compassion for the world around us, then so many things in our own lives are gonna kind of like fall into place because we're gonna have the most important thing in place. And so, so many of the things we desire to see are gonna happen and we are, we are going to be able then to pray with passion. Because it's loving compassion leads to passion. And there is something about praying with passion. Now, it doesn't mean that a whispered prayer can't be effective, but the fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. It's a fervency. There's something about passion. Now, think of it like this. Those of you that are parents or grandparents, one of your kids or one of your grandchildren, you hear they have to go for a medical test because they might have a very serious illness. What, what happens inside you? How do you pray? You, you pray with passion. You become aggressive in your prayer. And you don't just sit back, you go after it. And that's what God's looking for from us. The, um, uh, in Romans, it says this, says the creation itself waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. The revealing of the sons of God, that means the, the creation itself is looking for the generation that's going to understand their identity in Christ and begin to walk in a more full maturity of that identity as sons of God, okay? So now, any of you ladies out there that rankle when we say sons of God, I understand that. Um, but you realize it's not a gender thing. It's an authority thing because sons had authority in the culture in which the Bible was written. It doesn't mean that the Bible created that culture, but that's just the culture. Firstborn son had authority. So when you're called a son of God, it means you are a child of God with full vested authority. So, yeah, so, yeah, that's right. Man or woman, boy or girl. So, and if it still bothers you, realize this, that if it bothers you, as a woman to be called a son of God, just think how us guys feel being the bride of Christ, okay? That's not too comfortable either, let me tell you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, neither one of them are gender-based, okay? Sons of God's all authority and power. Bride of Christ is intimacy, closeness, Heart-to-heart longing, heart-to-heart, heart-to-heart connection. And don't we all want both of those things? Yeah, we do. We do. So um, I'm going to read one verse to you, then I'm going to have Micah come up, and then we're going to move into the end of our service here. But um, in the Old Testament, Isaiah 62 says this. It says, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. All day and all night, they will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord... Remind him of the promises he's made, okay? You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem the praise of the earth. Now think in terms of the kingdom of God coming to earth. And, um, but, but notice it says they're watchmen. And this is a part of prophetic intercession is watching and seeing, not just seeing the times, but seeing what God's saying and doing in the times, and so prophetic intercession is based upon what you see and hear God doing. And then, and then it says here, you, you just got to be tenacious at this. All day and all night, don't sleep. And don't, it, it, doesn't it sound crazy? Don't let God rest until he, does, till he fulfills this promise. Doesn't that sound crazy? 
You know, he's not, he's not being, saying that we should be disrespectful to God or anything like that. It's hyperbole. It, it's, like, it's like, be passionate about this. Go after this. Don't quit. Go. And so we're going to be talking more about this prophetic intercession. We're going to start having more. We've had a couple prophetic intercessory um, uh, teams that have been praying for years. But we're going to have more of that going on. We're going to have some more open meetings and, and a little bit larger meetings. But we'll talk more about that next week, okay? And um, right now, I want Micah Turnbow to come up because when we pray, and we pray in line with God's leading and what he's revealed, and we do it passionately, um, it reverberates into the spirit realm, all right? So I want Micah to tell you this story. Go ahead, Micah. Hi, guys. <laughs> hello, 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 hello. <laughs> so, Micah's yeah. on staff here at, at our church. I am on staff here. Since we were on staff. Um, so yeah, I, there was a, a season in my life where I was going through some, uh, heavy spiritual warfare and, um, just like how I can, uh, see in the spirit realm and see the good stuff, you know, I can see the bad stuff. Okay. And, uh, and sometimes it just can be constant. It can be a, a, a time where the warfare is just intense and it doesn't seem to let up. But Van and I were meeting um, regularly on Wednesdays. And so I, um, Van, like always, asked, how you doing? And so I just opened up and told him about it and what was going on. And it was really cool because he didn't think I was weird by telling him about the dark stuff, which was awesome. I mean, <laughs> so uh, I, you know, I just explained to him what I was experiencing. I was very honest with him and, and raw about it. And he prayed for me. I don't fully remember exactly what he was praying, but uh, we really felt God's presence. But at the very end of, of that prayer, uh, he raised his hand and he said, in the name of Jesus, I take authority and I command these attacks to stop it. And he hit his desk, bam. And I felt a release suddenly. It really was fast. It was quick. I mean, it, it, it was really suddenly. And I looked at Van and I said, I felt something. And he said he felt something. It was really cool. So we finished the meeting and I leave to go home and I'm walking to my car. And uh, my eyes opened up to the spirit realm. And I saw three angels uh, basically surround me. One went right in front of me, the other one to my right, and the other one behind me. And these guys were fierce looking. Okay, they're not the, the messenger angels, okay, who look all pretty and regal and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But these guys looked very terrifying. Uh, and they, were, they had fire in them. There was light coming out of them. Uh, I mean, they were, they were large, extremely large. And they were looking at me with this intensity. And the only thing I could say was, who sent you? Because it startled me. Uh, I said, who sent you? And... All three of them actually said, the Lord sent us. And I saw Van, the prayer Van had prayed, fly past me as light. And one of the angels reached and grabbed the light and it turned into a weapon. And uh, all the, that, that uh, demonic attacks stopped. And stopped. In fact, uh, you know, just I, I didn't mention this in the last service. In fact, I still will see those three angels sometimes. 
stand around me. And there's a couple of things I wanted to bring to the, your attention with this was the relation what the angel said uh, in response to Van's prayer was he said, the Lord sent us. And I love that because it shows the authority Van carried. And angels recognize the authority that we carry. Because Jesus lives on the inside of us. And so every time you pray, whatever it is, every time you're praying the heart of God, and what God wants to do in the earth, there are angels that hear that and you can equip them with weapons to see that it gets done. When we have prayer events here, I know, isn't that awesome? Yeah. That's awesome. So awesome. When, when we have prayer events here and, uh, you know, we do intercessory prayer, I watch as there's angels just around. And these are, again, these are warrior angels around and they're listening to the prayers going up. And they'll catch those prayers and turn them to weapons and they get launched to places that we're praying for. They get launched. So you are equipping heaven's armies right now by partnering with the Holy Spirit. So. I did pray for Micah that day that the Lord would send angels to surround him and protect him. Now, I know some people do this. I don't. I don't like tell angels what to do. But, but Jesus said, I could have asked my father and he would have sent 12 legions of angels to, to save me basically from the cross if Jesus had wanted it. So I always feel free to say, Father, would you send angels? Would you send a troop of angels to do this or, or to do that or to protect this person or that person? But we all have authority, spiritual authority, and we can all walk in that. And, uh, and when you're praying with passion for the, the things that you want to see, that you believe God has for you, for your family, for this church, for the city, for the world, then you can, you can pray like that. Uh, to me, just this picture of the angel grabbing that prayer and it turning into, I like a sword, but a weapon. Um, that, that makes this, ties some concreteness to this that really helps me to pray with passion. So would you stand with us? Would you stand, please? We're gonna just uh, each pray for, the, um, for, for you all. And then we'll be uh, concluding our service. Yeah, just hold your hands out. If you feel free to do this, just hold your hands out like God's going to drop something out of heaven for you, a gift that's coming to you. You're just getting ready to receive it. Yeah. Hmm. Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence. We thank you that you are God present with us. You are God to release the kingdom of earth on earth, kingdom of God on earth. I pray, Holy Spirit, release passion into our hearts. And even more than that, give us loving compassion. Give us the compassion of Jesus and the love of Jesus to fill our hearts and to motivate us so that everybody we encounter, everywhere we go, we're just, we're just loving them like Jesus does. And then empower us as a church body to press into everything you have for us. Father, I just ask that you would set our hearts ablaze. Set us on fire, Jesus. And God, I thank you that it is our destiny mm-hmm. to move in the power of prayer and intercession. 
Lord, I thank you that you have released to us angels of assignment who hear the voice of the Lord. So I speak over us right now, the voice of God to rise up within you. The voice of the Lord to rise up within you. And I just hear God saying to 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 this church over and over again prophesy prophesy speak into existence speak things into existence and angels will be released i thank you lord that we get to pray your heart what do you want to see done in jesus name amen amen we're going to continue on this topic the next couple of weeks, and then we'll, we'll be going into something to uh, lead up to Easter. Right now, prayer teams, would you please come down? And uh, any needs you have, healing, encouragement, um, need a job, whatever it might be, we'd love to pray for you. And we pray with the expectation God's going to do something right now. So feel free to come down for prayer. Wonderful to see you all here today. Look forward to seeing you next week.